You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation through the Disney animated canon in chronological order, playing our part in a healthy ecosystem between art and criticism and fandom. With our words, we're trying to breathe onto these movies, awakening the sprites of imagination, sowing seeds of life and renewal and resurrection or something like that. Anyway, (laughs) hopefully along the way we enrich the viewing experience and have some fun too. Today we're soaring through the 38th film in the canon and the second direct sequel, Fantasia 2000. This was somewhat the fulfillment of a dream of the original vision of Fantasia. The idea was that it would be an ongoing program of music set to animation where you'd never see the same movie twice, but you'd see old favorites mixed with new pieces. It's a charming idea from a time when Walt Disney was dreaming gigantic dreams about the possibilities of entertainment and taking crazy risks that put the entire studio on the line with every new film. It would be interesting to live in the parallel universe where some of those ideas panned out, but wow, would that have made this podcast difficult. As it is, we currently have two versions of Fantasia, the original and this one, and we discussed the original clear back in our third episode of this podcast. Um, hopefully joining me today to revisit this idea of a classical of classical music set to the finest animation possible is Michael Farmer. I heard Mickey yelling at him. Uh, that he only had 30 seconds just before we started recording, but Michael was still in the shower. Have you made it, Michael? I, I have, yeah. Thank you for the extra long introduction so I had time to put my <laughs> my clothes on. Yeah, that's why I had to ramble on like that. You know, it um, just occurred to me, that's why Donald is naked at the beginning of the <laughs> Noah's. I, like, I just got that. <laughs> this movie's got layers. It's got layers. It's really, yeah, it's really great. Um, it's... This movie, I'm I'm uh, I'm really thankful for. I'm I'm glad it exists. Um, I think it's it's a little bit um, it's I I want to I'm not sure how to approach it. I think with the time when Disney was making the original Fantasia and then 2000, or actually all through the 90s, because this this movie took like nine years to make from the time they first well (laughs) depending when you start counting right like when um when roy disney uh the nephew of walt and the son of um the original roy disney uh was was getting this movie off the ground it was the early 90s um but of course as i said in the introduction there were there were ideas there were fantasia ideas in the studio through the entire whatever it was 60 years from from the original to this one and i, I, I suspect there are still there are still people kicking around ideas for fantasia shorts yeah i hope they are I, I i hope that we see another fantasia at some time at some point you know but um yeah the the point i was trying to make there before i sidetracked myself was um the 
the just the where the studio was as a studio when it's making its third film and where the studio is when it's making its 38th film like it's it's so far apart that i feel like there's there's no way this movie could have done what the first one did right right like this is them uh I feel like this is them saying, like, look, we still take risks <laughs> without taking any risks at all. <laughs> yes, I think that's I think that's fair. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no underdog story here. This is Disney at the end of one of the most phenomenally successful decades in entertainment history. Right. The only thing I can think of that really compares to it is um, Marvel over the last 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. So it's cool. Like this movie's this movie's good in some ways. It might be better than the original, but it's not scrappy. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 not a studio with a lot to lose. Right. So what we need is a Marvel cinematic Fantasia version of Fantasia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that would look like. No, just kidding. No, we definitely don't, don't need do that. that. <laughs> but um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not scrappy. I think that's the thing. Like, it, it's just it it plays it safe in a lot of ways. Um, like, I think about the original Fantasia and kind of the story with that, if I remember right. Um, and this is playing off my memory more than research is, um, you know, Disney was coming out of um, kind of a, a lower middle class life in and all of a sudden was burst into fame and fortune and was becoming cultured <laughs> at the same time, you know, like if that's, I don't, I don't know if that's an offensive way to say that or if that's classist or something, but like, you know what I mean? Like he's, he was for the first time being put into these environments of fine art and classical music and stuff. And he liked it and he wanted to bring it back, you know, popularize it back. And so there was a there was an element of like trying to introduce people to the possibilities and also to push um, push the limits of animation. Whereas with this one, they they open with Beethoven's Fifth, and in the marketing materials, they're saying things like, "This is the most famous piece of classical music ever." You know, like there's no introduction of anything to anyone in this, and they choose pomp and circumstance which if beethoven's fifth isn't the best known classical piece of music is then certainly pomp and circumstance would be you know because everyone's graduated i mean not everyone's graduated but ever you know like it's um yeah it's a very familiar piece although um pines of rome is a is a is a very popular piece but i wouldn't say it's as popular as as symphony five or rhapsody in blue uh or or uh or any of that Right. Yeah. So there was a little bit still of there, but I just, I, that's what I just mean about like the flavor of these two movies and as they compare to each other. Like I think, I mean, there's, there's also, I I haven't thought about this until now. So I'm doing the math. Um, uh, Rite of Spring from the first one, you know, Mm -hmm. it was a hugely controversial piece 36 years before it came out. Um, This movie is almost twice 36 years from the original movie. And, and there's not a piece of music. um, There's not a piece of music written more recently than, um, well, when, when is the Shostakovich, the piano concerto Shostakovich? 
1957. So that one is um, that one is uh, after the the original movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it just using Rite of Spring, even in a way that uh, Stravinsky apparently did not approve of, um, would would have been a fairly bold choice in 1940. And I don't think there's anything that controversial here in uh, in Fantasia 2000. Yeah, I mean, even the Stravinsky piece they have is is much more accessible than Rite of Spring is, much less jagged, and all the other mm-hmm. ones are are real crowd pleasers, I think. Yeah, yeah, Stravinsky is an interesting character because while he's bemoaning the way that they've <sighs> used his Rite of Spring, he's also, um, I mean, the reason the Firebird Suite is in this movie is because he's licensing <laughs> it to Disney at right. the same time. You well, know? checks cash but, real for, good. Yeah, for for <laughs> for use in a future Fantasia. So, yeah, that I, one. And I, I I will say I think the Firebird uh, is is much better done than the Rite of Spring from the original. I, I think it's really a terrific uh, a sequence. And and you know I don't know anything about the original uh, Firebird ballet, uh, but I I you know it it seems less uh, out of nowhere than the dinosaurs in Rite of Spring did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would I would say. Most most of the pieces in this compare, you know, nicely with what you know what was in the original. Like, um, I feel like the original is. I really, I would say the original is better myself. Um, but part of that is the scrappiness, and part of that is just I I prefer that style of animation. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's my preferred um, look for animation you know is 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 the stuff they were doing then but um yeah musically i mean it is they're they're what what did you call them um popular yeah i mean (laughs) they're 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 the classical pieces everybody knows right yeah they're they're there's a reason that they they are and they are i mean i don't i don't think your average person on the street would recognize the shostakovich piece or yeah, even know who Shostakovich is, right? And we already said Pines of Rome, which I know only from this. I mean, I know Pines of Rome is a thing, but I've never listened. I've never listened to it except as part of Fantasia 2000. Now, I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, the world's biggest classical music fan, but I listen to classical music. And so I, I would say actually probably the um, the familiarity of these pieces is is not that different from the familiarity of the original Fantasia pieces. What, what did you have in that? You had the Toccata and Fugue, which everybody knows because Captain Nemo plays it. Although I guess Captain Nemo plays it after, um, after Fantasia comes out. What else is in mm-hmm. that? Rite of Spring, uh, the Night on Bald Mountain and the Ave Maria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, of course. Yeah, but I think they made, did they make Sorcerer's Apprentice famous? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think way more people and, know it as part of um, as part of Fantasia than anything yeah. else. And the Nutcracker Suite, like I think we talked about, the, if I remember right, we talked about this at the time. Like it was not a a yearly Christmas piece at the time of Fantasia. You I'd know, that, that came later. Was even in that, Beethoven's yeah. sixth is in that, and that's a you know, it's not as well known as the fifth, but it's not far off. I mean, if you if you know classical music at all, you know you know the Pastoral Symphony. Yeah. So I, okay. Yeah. So maybe maybe my criticism was a little unfair there. Um, probably the coolest thing they do in this one, and I know eventually we're probably just going to go through these one by one, is they they do do Rhapsody in Blue, uh, which is a classical piece, of course, but is also a jazz piece. So they're 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 bridging a gap there. So in in some ways, you you get a combination of 
uh, Fantasia and Melody Time or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we should say, in fairness to Melody Time and uh, Make Mine Music and stuff like that, those were really, you know, they were they were sort of Fantasia sequels. Right. Um, the you thing think that of, like, all the cats them, join in, the Billy or the, uh, uh, gosh, what is his name? Benny Goodman. Uh, piece from whichever I, you know those are all the same movie to me so i can't i can never remember which segments in which movie but the, the yeah. benny goodman piece and the flight of the bumblebee one mm-hmm. um those those are very much fantasia right yeah it's just well, jazz music I, I would instead say, of classical yeah i would say that all the cats or sorry rhapsody in blue owes a little bit to all the cats join in yeah i, not, I think that's true not a lot but like there's there's a there's a there's at least a dashed line between those two yeah Rhapsody of Blues are about a million times better than all the cats join in. Oh, for sure. But uh, yeah, yeah. Since we're on it, I gotta mention the the Mickey Mouse shorts that they're that Disney is putting out right now that references all sorts of old uh, um, Disney stuff in a really like charming and fun way. Uh, they they have one. It's called the Itchy Sweater, and it rep- it references um, all the cats join in. Wow, which made you must me have re- loved that. Oh yeah. I was all over it. So <clears throat> I just watched that recently with my kids. So anyway, that's a sidetrack tangent, but <laughs> since you brought it up, I thought I'd throw it in there. <laughs> so, so Fantasia 2000 was kind of a flop. Actually, it wasn't kind of a flop. It was a flop. Yeah. Um, why is that, Michael? <laughs> I know exactly why, which is that it was only released to IMAX theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but they miscalculated because at the time there were like a hundred IMAX theaters in the country that played, uh, regular movies. You know, most IMAXs back then were at planetariums and stuff like that. I, I used to go see the IMAX at Fernbank, which is the mm-hmm. science museum in Atlanta. Um, yeah, my first IMAX experience was at the Henry Dorley Zoo. In right. Omaha. Right. So, so obviously you're not going to see Fantasia 2000 at the Henry Dorley zoo. Although, I mean, maybe you are now just to get people to go to that zoo. By the way, if you're anywhere near Omaha, go to the Henry Dorley zoo. It's the best zoo I've ever seen. Um, so anyway, they're only releasing it to a hundred theaters. Of course, it's not going to make, <laughs> make any money <laughs> and you have to pay more to go see it. Right. Like an IMAX, an IMAX ticket is twice as much as a regular ticket or something. I don't know. I, this, I should say, I think is the only IMAX movie I've ever seen. Because um, my family did trek out to the Mall of Georgia. Yeah, did you see it at the Mall of Georgia? I did. Okay. So I was when I read that it was only in like 100 theaters or whatever, I was like, my memory tells me that I saw this movie at the Mall of Georgia. But my, I don't know if Mall of Georgia was actually one of the 100 theaters. You it know? was, yeah, because so, I saw it at the Mall of Georgia. Were you, you were already in Georgia. You must have been in college. You started college a year before me, and this was my yeah. senior year of high school. Yeah. Just think, Josh, we might have been at the same showing of Fantasia <laughs> 2000. That was, yeah, that was actually the, the start of before they were alive and we had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our origin story. I remember yeah. um, really but, raising hell. We were kind of like Donald and Daisy. We, oh. we hadn't like, really like crossed paths yet. <laughs> I, I remember really raising hell about uh, being dragged to see that movie. I, I, I was too cool to see it or whatever. And my, my family, we, they wanted to go see it. So we went. Good and, for your family. Good for your family. I know. I I was an insufferable teenager, as I am an insufferable (laughs) adult. But um, I I remember just being blown away by that Rhapsody in Blue. I was skeptical up until that. And and to to me, that was, at least at the time, I thought that that is just an impossible to deny 
uh, cartoon short. And I'd never mm-hmm. heard Rhapsody in Blue before either. Yeah, uh, I had I had a very similar experience, except for the insufferable part. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I actually remember being excited about this because I I love the the Disney lore stuff, you know. And so the fact that they were like, yeah, the the original intent was always to like have these rotating things of Fantasia, and now we're doing it. Like I, I was I just totally bought into that. Like I totally bought into all the marketing material on that. I was like, yes. This is Disney being cool, you know. It is cool, but but I did 100% same same experience with the Rhapsody in Blue, and I mean it has stuck with me since. Like I mm-hmm. I love that uh, short. I love that piece of music now. Um, even though I've been on hold uh, to Rhapsody in Blue with Delta forever, they've nearly ruined it for me. But the short saves it. Delta <laughs> uses Rhapsody in Blue and are on or hold. United, maybe it's United. I forget now. One of them had it in the commercials. Of, that, yeah. that second movement, it's all one movement, but the second section of Rhapsody in Blue where it sounds like floating through the cloud. It's the ice skating segment in the in the film. Yeah. I do not apologize to whichever airline it is because you're all horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but the short saves it. So it's 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 totally you know, even even hold music cannot ruin this because the short is so good. The other thing about this short is it's it's such a unique style mm-hmm. that anytime they reference it or go back to it, I'm like, I bet that's the same people who did Rhapsody in Blue. And I'm almost always right. So like the other one, the big one is there's a scene in um uh The Princess and the Frog that we're gonna see. Oh is that there? Is, I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. That. It's animated by Eric Goldberg again. And it's it's very similarly done i was thinking about that short paper man Mm -hmm. is that the one that's the one with the paper airplane but eric goldberg doesn't have anything to do with that yeah it's yeah it's it's a it's the yeah the paper airplane yeah but i mean i just think i think even so even if eric goldberg himself doesn't have something to do with it it's like I i feel like it's been influential yeah the it's thing just, that strikes so me about the um, about the Rhapsody in Blue segment is it alone among the new pieces is actually kind of about the the piece of music the way that the Sorcerer's Apprentice is the Sorcerer's Apprentice the music tells the same story as the short um, and Rhapsody in Blue is not programmatic it doesn't tell a story um, the the piece of music but certainly the images in the short are images that I think you would associate with the piece of music, even if the short didn't exist. Whereas none of the other ones that's true of Pines of Rome, they, they make a big deal about how uh, th- their, their short doesn't have anything to do whatsoever with uh, Rome or pine trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, pomp and circumstance, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Rhapsody in Blue is actually not ever, like, it wasn't intended to be part of this movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So Eric Goldberg got permission from Al Hirschfield to to do this and started, um, you know, he uh, storyboarded it and then was in a meeting with Disney execs and Roy Disney was there and watched, watched that me- meeting and was, like, sitting behind Eric Goldberg and tapped Eric Goldberg on the sh- on the shoulder and was like, this needs to be in Fantasia 2000. <laughs> well, he was right. So he was just, yeah, and he was absolutely right. Well, more people saw it that way too, you know? I mean, 
Yeah, because the shorts are they're like yeah, you have to be a pretty major fan to go out and be watching the shorts at this in this day and age. Right, or or you know you you go see some terrible movie and it just gets tacked onto the, the top of it. Right. Yeah. So definitely the pinnacle of Fantasia 2000 is is Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's Blue deniable. Although there's lots of other really um really quality shorts. There's only uh one I really dislike and another that I think is just okay. Um but I I would say most of these are really quite good. Mhm. Yeah. So I think it's it's a worthy it's a worthy follow up to Fantasia, definitely. Well, shall we just go through? We've already talked about Rhapsody in Blue, but do you just want to go through and talk about these shorts one by one the way we used to with the uh, package films? Yeah, I couldn't even remember how we did it, but yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, the first one is um, Symphony Number no. 5, uh, the, the Beethoven Symphony. It's just the first movement, and I think it's actually just a, a piece of the first movement. And it's introduced by the uh, by Deems Taylor uh, by a recording of him from the first movie, talking about how s- some things were just going to look at abstract uh, shapes, uh, which is a really weird way to introduce this short, which is definitely not just a bunch of abstract shapes, a la Toccata and Fugue from the first one. It actually does mm-hmm. tell a story, um, so I'm not sure why they decided to uh, <laughs> to, to to say it was just abstract. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's weird to it's weird to start your movie with a lie, but okay. <laughs> this is the one I thought was just okay. Mhm. Yeah. I think it's it's one of those things where they this is again I think where they where they played it a little safe. And I I think mm-hmm. what you said, you know, pri- I'm I'm still acknowledging what you said prior and that like maybe I was a little too harsh in my criticism, but they shortened Symphony Number no. Five down to three minutes, and that was like one of their like pitches, you know, is like um, to in order to get um, oh, what's the the composer's name who works on this whole thing? The composer? Or the sorry the gosh the conductor um, the conductor James yeah. Levine. Yeah, James Levine. That's one of the things apparently like they, you know, they asked James Levine, like, what do you think about Beethoven's fifth in three minutes? And he thought for a minute and then said, if it's the right three minutes, that could be really beautiful or whatever, you know, and that's how they knew that they had the right guy. Um, Before you go on, I think we should acknowledge that James Levine has been Me too Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. And well, I, I just wanted our audience to know that we don't approve of everything James Levine has ever done. <laughs> Even Here's if he is kind of charming about, in this movie. Yeah. Here's what I have to say about James Levine. James Levine looks like he should be like Patton Oswalt playing a uh, eccentric conductor <laughs> in an SNL skit. <laughs> <laughs> he has like the same mannerisms and everything. Like it's really kind of creepy. Um, <clears throat> made from the same cloth. That's funny. So, any, any, <laughs> so they shortened it down. Um, and, and you you say that's, that's, refusing to take a risk well i don't know that it's refusing to take a risk but it's just it's it's making the music you know more i mean it's already crowd friendly and they're making it even more crowd friendly you know like it's kind of the classic uh um criticism against disney which i usually do not side with you know but like the disneyfication of stuff you know like Mm -hmm. making it just super sleek and easy and stuff and i i don't know like the i don't know if the piece would be better if it was longer um but it did seem like it was a little, like there's just there's just not a lot to it, you know. 
Well, and the the other problem with it is that the uh, the animation they've chosen for it is very on the nose. It's it's a it's a very shallow reading of the symphony itself. This this battle of good and evil, and I mean, I'm sure that's there, but it doesn't reveal anything new about the symphony that you didn't already know listening to it. And um, the animation's good, but it's not great. So I, I you know, I I don't I would not want ten minutes of that particular animation um so i'm glad they cut it down to three i i i don't think i would have opened with symphony number five that's as you say it's the piece everybody knows it's it's almost impossible to listen to symphony number five because you've heard it in so many commercials um, Mm -hmm. and in, in so many other um other kind of silly uses of it why not pick something a bit more like Takata and Fugue was in 1940 something that people would know and that's accessible but that hasn't been done to death yeah. I do think that on the positive side, there's a little bit of that light light and darkness. And then especially with the ending, like the light opens up and all the like light, uh, colorful butterflies like soar up through it, including our injured butterfly. Like I feel like there is a bit of a, a theme or a thread running through the whole movie of things rising and things like you know, the, the light triumphing and dawn of a new day and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's not a bad theme to have in your movies, you know, like I'm, yeah, I'm okay with certainly that. one we need here in 2021, huh? Yeah. So like, I, and I, I, so I feel like what this, what this piece does do well is setting that tone mm-hmm. of this, is, this is what you're seeing. Even if it is a bit on the nose, it, it definitely like lets you know, like, okay, this is what you're in for in this movie. A lot stronger, I feel like, than in the original Fantasia. I think the the original Fantasia was more disconnected than this one. I feel like this one, it's they all feel kind of uh, of a uh, like this is like a really nice mixtape, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's also, you know, it's worth pointing out, it's forty five minutes shorter than the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though it has the same number of pieces. Right, I but I mean, two of the pieces. Symphony number five is three minutes. The Carnival of the Animal can't be much much less than that. Yeah, I think it's like that. two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like two and a half. It's really short. So you, you yeah. really don't have... You have the same number of pieces, but two of them are, aren't substantial at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like you said, like it, it's... it's uh, the I feel like the... So there's there's some hand-drawn animation in here. Um, when, like when you're close in on the, on the shapes that are obviously butterflies or something you know some some sort of flying moth butterfly type creature but um abstractly done with triangles um and then uh but then the dark like swarm of bats is like just computer animation nonsense Mm -hmm. you know like it's just we can copy and paste a gazillion times and it's fine i feel like they go to that well a few times in this movie yeah well, and that Inclu- I think is a nice segue into Pines and Pines of Rome, which is the one segment I don't like, um, mm-hmm. and it's entirely because of the crappy computer animation. Yeah, yeah, and this is one of those things where we talked about this before. With there's a weird thing with computer animation in particular. I feel like where you have to be thankful that they did it and that they pushed the the limits of the day, um, because you know, it, it helped, it helped move the whole technology forward. 
but it's hard to go back and watch. Well, like I, it's I hard remember, back. It's hard to get back into the mindset of like, wow, this looks amazing. But I don't remember in 2000 thinking, oh, this looks like garbage. You probably didn't. You probably yeah. thought it looked great. Yeah. <laughs> but it really looks terrible. And uh, the, I think the thing that looks the worst about it is that they couldn't do the eyes. So instead of either hand animating the whales and having eyes or not having eyes at all, which would have been fine. Uh, they drew the eyes on with the with the result that the whales look like they're made out of clay with googly eyes. Mm -hmm. I, I like I really think that I really think the the animation is just terrible in mm -hmm. uh, Pines of Rome. It's and yeah. it's too bad because it's a cool story, you know, like the idea that these humpback whales uh, learn to fly. Like that's the sort of trippy, weirded out. Um, plot that i want from a fantasia movie but they they <laughs> they just relied on technology that couldn't carry it right yeah and and but i actually remember liking this one at the time and i i've not revisited fantasia 2000 since seeing it in the imax <laughs> like i think i've i think i've seen it in between but this is not like a regular watch for me so like in my mind i thought i liked the pines of rome piece but um yeah, watching it this time, it, it's just, it's like you said, like the, the story is not bad. It's, it's a little, the, the animation, yeah, I guess it's, it's the animation, the animation doesn't carry it the way you want it to. It doesn't draw you in, you know, it looked, I mean, like, unfortunately, like it, it looks like a, like an end game sequence on like a video game or yeah. something now, you know? like yeah, you does. beat the level. Not even end game sequence, just like you beat the level sequence. The the whales getting caught in the in the in the stream of light and moving up, you know, again rising, which I think, you know, it's nice nice enough theme, but like Yeah. I wish they would have just done it two D. Oh yeah. But that was I mean, you gotta remember the era that this was made in also, you know, like that's all that stuff is going I mean, we're about to watch Dinosaur right. next month. But <clears> well and also Disney way, so. was always pushing pushing the the limits of the technology from the very first movie right they they invent mm -hmm. a, a new kind of camera in order to in order to make snow white and the seven dwarfs so like they're gonna push it but oh it's an awkward teenager yeah and that's and that's a that thing again it was like why <clears throat> why does the uh the invented technology of of 1937 or whatever your um snow white comes out look amazing still <laughs> and the invented technology of like late 90s look horrible <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't i don't quite know what what the difference is but there there's definitely a difference you, you know um I, I don't know if this is an answer to your question but it is worth pointing out that the 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 place disney did a lot of its experimentation was in the silly symphonies so by the time they used it in a full-length movie, they'd already they'd already played around with it in 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 some of the shorts. And by the '90s, you don't have shorts anymore, not really. Mm -hmm. So I, I wonder if if we're we're watching them experiment in public in a way that they didn't. I mean, obviously the Silly Symphonies were released as shorts, theatrical shorts, but you know the the stakes were lower. Yes. No, I think I think that is a valid point. And I think that was part of the argument with another, um, uh, you know, when John Lasseter came back to the studio and started trying to reintroduce the shorts. I think I think that was part of the argument is we need 
we need the shorts as a place to experiment because that's where that's where Pixar does their experimentation is in the shorts. Right. Or at least, you know, at that time. Can't speak to the way Pixar does things now. But. Yeah, they're kind of in their post Disney Renaissance phase. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid. Although I don't know, I like Soul a lot. Yeah, I think they're they've still they've still got some hits in them, but they're now Soul they're something that owes owes uh, something to Rhapsody in Blue. Mm. Yeah, I would say so. Just the the character design mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's anything else to say about Pines of Rome. Uh, just it's, you know, it's a failed it's a failed opportunity, and you know, I I think it is to Fantasia 2000's detriment that they lead with the two weakest shorts. Hmm. Yeah. But it's it's um like I said, I think at the time. Pines of Rome was not one of the weaker shorts, you know, like I, the, the pieces that I remember are the whales flying and Rhapsody in blue, like the, those, Oh, and, um, uh, pomp and circumstance. Sure. Those, those are the three pieces that like, when I'm like Fantasia 2000, what's in Fantasia 2000. Those are the three that I like immediately spring to mind. So I, I, I think you're right. It has not aged well, unfortunately. Should we talk about Steve Martin just because he's funny? <laughs> he is funny, yeah. He um he introduces the short doing a Steve Martin bit about how great Steve Martin is. <laughs> Probably the I was gonna say the funniest line in the movie is uh some of these musicians this is the first time they've ever played. Um, but actually I think the funniest line is James Earl Jones later. <laughs> Who wrote this? <laughs> yeah. You, you know. It, it's interesting that they felt like they had to have these humorous intros, which they don't have in 1940, because um, Fantasia is a, is a movie that wants to be art. And this movie seems to be concerned that people are going to think it's too artsy. Mm. So they have to they have to have these gags in there. Yeah, that's good. Maybe that's what I was feeling more than the playing it safe thing. Maybe it's just that, you know, like. Yeah, fan, yeah, that's exactly right. Fantasia was aspiring to be fine art. Like, that's what it wanted to be. And this is definitely not that. <laughs> this is wanting to be family entertainment, right. which is fine. Like, Disney, the Disney studio in 1940, when Fantasia comes out, is not yet the family-friendly studio that we know. <laughs> you know, like, it, it wasn't anything yet. Like... It, it had two movies under its belt, you know, like it, it still had the possibility and the trajectory to go kind of in any direction. And so at this point, they're really constrained by who they are and who they are is great. Like, so that's fine. It's, it, it's great, but it's limited. Yeah. Yeah. So that means we get Steve Martin. <laughs> so. I mean, it has a long association with Disney. I mean, he, he began his career at the magic shop in Disneyland. So, um, you know, he, he shows up in a, in a lot of, uh, Disney parks, uh, stuff because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm never going to complain about seeing Steve Martin. He's very funny. Everybody loves him and everybody loves him for a reason. And he's funny in this. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, 
I thought he hosted the whole thing though. Yeah, I'm I was, sorry. I was, I was a little disappointed that that after that that was his only <laughs> that was his only bit. He's you know? in like, the there's a mid credit sequence. Speaking of the MCU, there's a mid credit sequence where he, you hear him um, ask if the camera's ever going to come back to him. So I right. guess he also <laughs> thought he'd be hosting the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I, that would have been fun, but it's all right. Well, do you have anything else to say about Rhapsody in Blue, or do you feel like we covered it? Um, I think we mostly covered it. I mean, it's it's cool. So, I mean, we didn't talk about like how the the thing with Rhapsody in Blue. I guess it doesn't really need to be said, but like it's you know you've got four different storylines, and then they all intersect. Um, was it four or is it three? It's, it's There's four. a little girl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, is that right? So. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned, yeah, we mentioned Eric Goldberg, who, you know, famously did the genie in the style of Al Hirschfeld. <laughs> Eric Goldberg is the biggest Al Hirschfeld fan in the world. And so Teddy Brock ha- brought Al Hirschfeld's, uh, and Al Hirschfeld actually, uh, what, um, what's it called? Consulted on this piece, I guess, and let them use like actual, you know, his, his images, they're, they're basically animating his images um, for some of them, you know, um, particularly George Gershwin shows up, you know, that's the Al Hirschfeld, George Gershwin that's playing the piano. Right. Yeah. And well, and Hirschfeld himself is in, um, comes out of the hotel, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so fast that if you didn't know it, you'd miss it probably. Right. Yeah. When they're all on the train <laughs> and then they get off the train and they go right into the elevator, like, oh, that's, I was, it's so clever. It's so funny. I really enjoy it. Well, and you know what this, what this short does very well is it's, it's very funny and it's frenetic and there's, there's almost a Looney Tunes quality to it. But also I, I find it very moving. You have these, these four people who want this life they don't have that, that seems so close, you know, and then they all get it at the end because it's a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. It is a. It is a touching piece. So, and I think you you can see a bit of yourself in every character, probably. Sure. Yeah. So you have Duke, uh, who is a construction, and it's this is the Great Depression. He's a construction worker, and he wants to be a jazz musician. And you have they call him Jobless Joe, who uh, is jobless. He, he doesn't. He doesn't have any money. You have Rachel, whose parents seem to be well off, but they leave her all day with a nanny, and all she wants is to be part of a family. And you have um, John, who's the kind of Walter Mitty character, whose wife abuses him. Yeah. Rachel, like that. That's crazy to me. That well, I don't know. I don't know how historically accurate it is. <laughs> Man, that just seems like that poor kid. She's in every type of lesson possible, you know. It's just, it's like, it's it's so I don't, I don't know. I don't want to get preachy, but like, it's so sad. Like the thing that kids need is their parents, you know. But like parents, in trying to give the best thing to their kids, like push them away into like all these different opportunities. Because in a parent's mind, like what the kids need is opportunities, you know, right. and skills. And like what they actually need is yeah, that emotional grounding of like just being with their parents. So. <laughs> So Go there's a supremely everybody. moving scene where they're all watching the people ice skating at Rockefeller Center and dreaming of of mm-hmm. what they could be. Yeah. 
And and all she wants is to skate with her mother and father. Right. Yeah. One of the great ice skating scenes. There's many ice skating scenes in Disney movies. <laughs> true, there there are. It must be fun to animate. Yeah, yeah it must be. Love drawing people in ice. <clears throat> but yeah, this is a really good one. Next up we have uh, The Steadfast Ten Soldier by Hans Christian Andersen. Yep. Um, so this is... So they, they were working on this pre-Toy Story, uh, supposedly. Like that, at least that's oh, the I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. So so there's there's not that... There's, there's the... The... Um, what? Like, great minds think alike type thing, or... What's oh what's the guy's name? Steven Johnson writes about like um I forget what he calls it. Oh, I think it's the adjacent possible. I think we talked about this before. You know, like there's there's a time when like things are ready to be born right. into the like, world. Like calculus is simultaneously invented by uh Leibniz and, and Newton. Right. Yeah. And so like yeah, com- computer animation is obviously not at a point where you can do much with it. But you can do toys, <laughs> you know. So, how much of this so, is but, computer animated, Josh? Um, so the backgrounds are all um, still painted. Okay. But the the soldier and the 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 um, the ballerina and the um, the Jack in the Box, the the villain, are all uh, computer animated. I think I it I think it works pretty well with them. They have a they have a weight that's that like the humpback whales don't have. They 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 don't look fake mm-hmm. and maybe it's because they're not trying to look realistic. Yeah. You know, famously yeah. Pixar's human beings look terrifying for the first mm-hmm. 10 years of their existence. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause they, you can't, you can't do that yet. Right. Like you can't do, it's uh, the, 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 the technology really isn't there to do that yet. Um, yeah, they're a little they're a little shiny for like you know if, if this was being made on today's standards. But other than that, you're right, they do look really nice. Um, she moves the ballerina moves ex- extremely fluidly. They did the the um, the live action of a of a ballerina and then you know use that as a model, which always helps um, animation to look more smooth. So, um, and it's to the it's to the tune of. Um... Shostakovich's second piano concerto, which is is a a good choice. I mean, Bette Midler uh, introduces it by talking about how they they wanted to do it and they couldn't find the right piece, which really confuses me because there is a piece by Georges Bizet that is the steadfast ten soldier in his Jeu de mm-hmm. and it it seems weird to me they they couldn't just use the Bizet piece, but that's fine. Um, using something that it wasn't meant to be allows them to take more more chances i suppose i mean i I complained at the beginning that the symphony number five was too close to the plain meaning of the music Mm -hmm. Um, so i I think it's actually kind of cool that they're using shostakovich in a way shostakovich couldn't have foreseen yeah the only problem is is the they had to change the ending to the fairy tale um because the 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 piece has a happy ending and in the fairy tale it's the tin soldier and the ballerina who fall into the fireplace, not the jack in the box. Yeah. But they, they did that not because they wanted to Disneyfy it, but because the music kind of demanded it. And that's interesting to me. I'm always interested in the way that form determines content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is very interesting. Have you read the original piece? Uh, I have I mean, the original. 
yeah, I haven't either. I, I know I know what you're just from Wikipedia. I know that, that, that the original story has that ending, but I didn't know if you'd actually read it. I have read yeah. some Hans Christian Andersen, and those are weird, sad children's stories. <laughs> yeah. I wonder though, like, I mean, and you're right. Like, so the the form thing is is really fascinating. Like, it's it's really interesting that you know they brought these two pieces together, and then they they kind of have to conform to each other. Um, and a cool, like, again, the Disney lore sort of thing. Like, um, they had been working on a steadfast tin soldier piece, or like short. Um, way back, you know, in Walt Disney's day, he wanted to do a whole package films of uh, Hans Christian Andersen uh, pieces. Um, I keep calling them pieces, but stories is what I'm trying to say. And um, and so at some point, somebody in the Disney archives had turned some of that art into a book. <laughs> and that's how, like, the somebody was trying to find out what figure out what to do and and had a copy of the steadfast tin soldier book with the disney animation in it you know or not the disney i'm sorry the disney uh concept art in it um and that's that was kind of how these things converged together which is a kind of cool story yeah that's very interesting um but yeah as far as bet midler lying to you we've already established that this movie's full of lies in the beginning. i don't think she was lying it did it, it, <laughs> she just said they couldn't find the right piece i guess they didn't think the bizet piece is the right one i, I but th- that's very I, I looked it up specifically because i said well there's got to be i mean because it features a ballerina there's got to be a, a musical adaptation of the steadfast ten soldier and indeed there is and in fact george balanchine um uh, choreographed it in the 70s so like they they could have just done an adaptation of that i'm glad they didn't um because it like i said it made them made them go directions that they might not have otherwise gone the the thing i liked about the steadfast ten soldier segment was the way they handled his disability so you know he he only has one leg and he's insecure about it when he's approaching the ballerina until he sees that she's standing on one leg. So he thinks that she also has a disability and then Mm -hmm. she doesn't and it's not an issue and it's never an issue again. Like it's not, it's not a piece about, um, about his disability. He just happens to be disabled. Mm -hmm. I I thought that was really well handled. Uh, you don't see a lot of, um, (laughs) you, you don't see a lot of, uh, of treatments of disability that don't make disability the central uh, the central fact of the character's life. You, you think about Dumbo, uh, which right. I know we I know we talked about that in some detail in our Dumbo episode with Victoria. She didn't watch this with me because she said she wasn't interested. So I'm, I would I would be interested to hear what she has to say about the the this the segment. Yeah, my understanding is it's it's handled almost exactly the way Alderson handles it in the um, in the original story. So mm. cool. Yeah, it's interesting that he did that. You know, like I don't know. It seems it seems anachronistic or something. You know, <laughs> like, it's ahead of his time. That's the wrong word. Yeah, it's ahead of his time. It's not anachronistic. That's the opposite. But whatever the antonym of anachronistic is, futuristic. <clears throat> I think the. Uh, yeah, the the idea of the the fairy tales. I was thinking about this today, just as I was, I was thinking about what we were gonna talk about in the show. Like, um, yeah, a lot of those those fairy tales were very weird, and I, I don't and I, I don't have anything to say about it except that like 
maybe we need some more of that. <laughs> you know, like, our world seems to be just like really broken right now. Maybe we need some creepy fairy tale to get us back on track. Everybody needs to read Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> well, I think all his texts, all his books are on Project Gutenberg. So yeah, you can read them all. I read a couple of them a few years ago. They are um, they are weird. Like they are not the stories I grew up hearing. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I, I think they they just, they pick the right music. They pick the right piece, and you know they changed the ending. Um, but I think they did it for pretty good artistic reasons, rather than just not trying to bum out the audience. Yeah. Do you know if he gets swallowed by the fish in the? He original? does. Yeah. Swallowed by yeah, the fish and then brought so back cool. to the same, uh, the same house. Right. Yeah, that's so cool. I that that was the part that I liked the best. Just that he gets he gets caught by the fish and then immediately the fish gets caught and brings him back to the same house. So fun. And I love the love that the kid has when yes. when he finds the 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 toy on the floor and picks him up. Yeah, I I liked that too. That it's also almost, very Toy Story, isn't it? Yeah, but I think, you know not not well this is what i do in these shows right as i push it a little too far but like you wonder if like his steadfastness comes from the fact that he knows that he's so loved by his boy or whatever you know i mean that's obviously not in there but there's a there's maybe a hint of it in there this is the one um where uh, Rhapsody in Blue also, it, it's really amazing how much of the inner lives of these characters they can give you without a word being said. Mm-hmm. It's 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 something um, it's something that good animation does super well. And I mean, I've talked about this before. How much I like mute characters in in Disney movies, and and mm-hmm. how other than Dopey, and and, and how <laughs> often they're the ones. Who, I was just gonna call you on that. You called yourself. Nice <laughs> they're the ones whose emotions are are. Um, are the deepest in some ways, and I, I think you get that here in, in Rhapsody in Blue, and and you know in in the, the Noah's Ark pomp and circumstance as well. But so much of that works on your previous knowledge of Donald Duck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think you even get it with the villain, honestly, a little bit. Like, I mean, he's obviously super creepo and whatever, um, but like a villain for the Me Too era. Yeah, definitely. You know what I love is oh. when he loses his hat and he's bald and he's afraid that the uh, the ballerina is going to see him. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, there's an there's an inner life there, you know. Like, there's a there's a real vulnerability, and there's also so like he watches as the the tin soldier approaches that 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 very touching scene that you mentioned, you know, where he thinks that she's also has one leg, um, and he gives her a flower in that scene. And later, when the when the when the Jack in the Box is is trying to do whatever he's trying to do, win her affections, he's got the entire bushel of flowers, yeah. and he's like shoving it at her, you know. Because he doesn't it's understand. Like he, yeah, he doesn't understand, but like he's he learned that from the Tin Soldier. That's what know? I was like, like in I, college. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, we all were, I think. I don't know. Didn't you get married before you graduated? Um, no, 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 no. Okay. My my wife got married to me before she graduated. There we go. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was out for a year. <clears throat> well, from anyway, the sublime to the ridiculous, huh? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, we get another Eric Goldberg piece, 
with uh, oh you know what i want to say one more thing before we get to carnival of animals so bet midler mentions the uh salvador uh Sal- salvador dolly uh disney um collaboration uh-huh. that that was happening um potentially as another fantasia thing and then um it it went away um they actually released that in 2003 they where, where can we uh, see it it's on Disney Plus. It's also on YouTube, actually. Like somebody's uploaded it there. Well, I'm gonna have to... I, I didn't watch the version on YouTube. I watched it on Disney Plus, so I don't know if the YouTube version is um, uh, is actually high quality or not. I'm gonna but, have to yeah, go watch yeah. that. What's it? Is what's it yeah, called? It's, it's called Destino. D E S T I N O. Like destiny and in it's, Spanish. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. <laughs> For those of you who know habla español, <laughs> Destino means destiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyway i wanted to mention that that's it it suffers from a little bit it's been updated so like the original like stuff that was done is in there like so you can still see that um which they show a clip of it actually in in bet midler midler's thing um <clears throat> but they finished it and because they finished it they had to add some cgi stuff so unfortunately oh, but man. it's still it's very it's very weird um as you would expect from salvador dolly so but it's cool that it exists, and it's cool that you can watch it now. So, just thought I'd throw that out. All right. So, Car- Carnival of the Animals. Yeah, this is a really fun little piece. Yes. Really, really fun. Fun piece of music. Fun animation, done almost entirely by Eric Goldberg. Um, so, definitely, it has his style. Yeah. So, I mean, I, if you if you like um, if you like the genie from Aladdin, you'll probably like. Uh, the Carnival of the Animals segment. Yeah. So, it, so there's a couple a flamingo things. playing with a yo-yo. Yeah. Introduced by James Earl Jones, as we alluded to earlier. There's a couple like th- timing things on here that are amazing, like just the way that like so the the flamingos are like swimming around, and there there's a line of them, and they all duck under uh, a log, or they all swim around a thing, and like. Um, it's just like ding, 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 ding. Like each head like goes down and then back up, you know, like just in, in perfect synchronization. And it's 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 a beautiful thing to behold. It reminds me very much of like when uh, like in, in marching bands that you'll have a drum line with uh, like a whole series of, of bass drums. And sometimes the bass drums will, will have to do very complicated runs where they're, you know, all in synchron, uh, you know, all synchronous with each other. And it's it's very cool. Yeah, I, Very nice I, I think I, I mentioned this when we watched the the first one. Just how amazing it is that they can synchronize um, music and art like this. It, it must, especially before computers, it must have just been incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The first one. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I think we mentioned this back you know, in whatever episode, but like, I mean, you mentioned the IMAX on this one, like they are actually installing sound systems into theaters when they're to show the first one, because not all the theaters were equipped with, (laughs) you know, sound systems that could handle it because it was such a new thing to synchronize sound with, with movies at that time, you know, they were still in the transition from silent era, but, but yeah, it's, it's really quite incredible. And then the thing that Disney did this time, which is also amazing to me, is that uh, like the before the IMAX run, they did this with live orchestras. And then somehow there's a way that they 
they can time the 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 video and the orchestra t- together. Wow! Like in you know like live that they they can somehow time that's, it. That's so that's a the thing still they work. still do. Um, a lot of symphonies make a great deal of money by doing these kind of crowd pleasing. You go you go watch a movie and the orchestra plays the score live. Right. Which to me is just a complete waste of your symphony orchestra. But <laughs> <laughs> not if it's the right movie. Oh man, Michael, I'm so sad that you said that because this is one of my this is a this is a legitimate fantasy of mine. Okay. Is that our show somehow like skyrockets to the top of iTunes and we become like famous in the Disney world. Like to the point where Disney's like having us like host events and we do a hundred and one Dalmatians with a live jazz orchestra doing the soundtrack. How much time do you spend thinking about this? (laughs) (laughs) I've got a lot of time. Maybe they'll build you a house in celebration, (laughs) the town right next to Disney world. Yeah. That's what I want. I want to, I want to, um, it'll look like rabbit's house from the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. No, honestly, I did. I concocted that on a road trip this summer because my kids were watching 101 Dalmatians in the backseat, and it's just got the best score. It's, it's a great score. Any, like it's it's the best. I think it's the best score of any of our animated films that we've seen. And but let me ask I you a like, question: Is it, what would we be doing? <laughs> you know, they. I mean, they these famous podcasters they do stuff like that. Like that's what they do. Like it's just they're there. But would we be hosting, they or would we just it. be sitting? Yeah, we'd there. host it. No, we'd host it or something, you know. Like we'd int- we'd introduce it. We'd say th- we'd say our witty comments about the movie, and then they'd start. I mean, we'd be the pen and teller of of this thing. Pen and teller. <laughs> Which one? Of, I guess I'm I'm taller than you, so I must be pen. Yeah, <laughs> I've got the longer hair though, but you could cut it off. Like, I don't have much to say about the Sorcerer's Apprentice since we already talked about it, and they didn't change anything, right? It's the same. Yeah, which is fine. Okay, this is fine. It's great. No, please don't mess with it. Please don't mess with it. No, no, it's. I'm I'm sorry. It's fine. It's it's great that they didn't change it. It's fine that they included it. Oh yeah, I'm. I think it's cool that they included it because it is a nod to like the original idea. Yeah, Yeah, I, I. We should go back to Carnival of the Animals for just a second. Okay. Because originally the original idea was that that was going to be the um ostriches from. Um, from Dance of the Hours. Oh, interesting. And then they, which I would have been totally there for, because those ostriches in Dance of the Hours, like they're they're my favorite. I, I I'm super there for them. Um, but I think it, it works. It works well as flamingos. I wouldn't. I don't know if I would have liked the ostriches in a new flat Eric Goldberg style. So I'm glad that you know. Yeah, that's fair. They changed it for that. And the other thing I was going to say is my favorite sequence is when they when they do get the 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 flamingo into line anybody's like total totally schlumpy about it <laughs> so funny <laughs> so funny the thing about that anyway, segment uh, is you, I, i'm never prepared for how short it is yeah it's very fast it's very fast sorcerer's apprentice we can go back to that you know it's cool that they kept it in as as you say, a nod to the the original plan. The Penn and Teller introduction is fine. It's Penn and Teller doing the Penn and Teller thing. Uh, I like Penn and Teller, um, but yeah. I, I don't have much to say. But you can maybe maybe I should just drop in our comments from last time. 
<laughs> Actually, I'm, I, I didn't go back to listen. I'm curious what we said. Um, but here's what I will say for this time is I think it's I think it is great that they dropped it in. And I also think it was a little bit of a bold move for them to drop it in, because this to me is the best animation in the whole thing, wow. you know, and like I I mean, I I just love that style. Like there is just something about real paint on cells that I I love and I love like we went on and on about Rhapsody in Blue and I'm I I loved it but it's like the difference between looking at an Al Hirschfeld drawing and looking at like a Peter Bruegel the Elder piece you know like it's just a very very different style and I I prefer that old style you know like the actual hand drawn and hand painted like I just I think it is so beautiful even to the point where so um Bugs Bunny turned 80 this year or last year or whatever you know and so i went back and watched the very first bugs bunny um short which is nothing you know like it's just a, it's just a you know a, a merry melody short but it's done in that same thing with with the paint and everything and like as soon as it came on my screen i was like oh my gosh this looks so good i cannot believe how good this looks and it's just a dumb bugs bunny short you know like there's just something about it that i just love so i'm so happy it was in here i'm i'm really it made me want to go back and rewatch everything like 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 Sleeping Beauty back just because it's it's so beautiful. You could do a podcast where you go through each one and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but who would want to listen to that? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's what I have to say about it. I I think it's great. Is is that the short if you were in charge of this is that the one you would have kept? I think you almost have to. Yeah. I mean, it's Mickey Mouse and it's like, I mean, so the best, I mean, the best piece far and away from fan, the original Fantasia is Night and Bald yeah. Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, like there's just, there's nothing else that we have seen that has touched that. Like there is a transcendence to that piece that is just incredible. I think that's the closest Disney is ever going to come to capital A art. Right. Yeah. But as far as like, I mean, that uh, that wouldn't even fit in this movie, right. <laughs> really. I would kind of would. I mean, it's on a similar theme, so maybe it would have worked. And they were obviously going for something like that with the Firebird Suite, which we'll get well, to in a minute. It's interesting you, you bring that one up, because they, they did consider using that one without the Ave Maria, just, just the Night on Bald Mountain. Yeah, but I feel like you need the Ave Maria. Oh, I agree, yeah. I think they, that's how they, yeah. they, they decided, too. Maybe, maybe yeah. they decided it was too religious, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Probably not, since they have Noah's Ark. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I don't know. But yeah, I think, I mean, the Disney animation, like like the actual building, you know, has the uh, the Mickey Mouse hat from this piece. Right. Like, I, I, no, I think that, that's you, just, true. you have to, if you're going to include one, you have to include that one. Unless, like I said, that parallel universe where... You know, you're going to see Fantasia 20 times and seeing different movies 20 times. Like, then at that point, you can drop it out and and pop in the, you know, Pastoral Symphony or Dance of the Hours or whatever. Right, right. I think those are the only two. No, uh, yeah. So that's <laughs> that's four altogether of the original one: Pastoral Symphony, Dance of the Hours, Night on Bald Mountain, and then of course Sorcerer's Apprentice. I think any of those. Would have been great in this one. Not the dinosaurs. I like nah, I mean they just—they're—they're 
yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I should go back and rewatch it. But well, uh, pomp and circumstance with uh, with Donald Duck in Noah's Ark, which is very funny and surprisingly moving. Really moving. I can't. I get. I get weepy on this one every time. I'm, I can't help it. I've been I very emotionally it's... fragile the last few weeks for a number of personal reasons, but I I found myself tearing up uh, at this. I I was very moved by it, which is kind of silly. I think it's Kathleen Battle or Battelle. I don't know how you pronounce her name. She's the soprano. I think that's the big. I think I think that's what makes it work. Yeah. Personally, yeah. I think like once they. I mean, it's the same thing with the, uh, the I'm going to be repeating myself from the Ava Maria one, you know, like you go for so long without any sort of like human voices and then human voices break in and it, it's very like moving, <laughs> you know, and then she hits this incredible like high note and it's just, you know, as they're like reuniting and, and Daisy kisses them and it's just, it's just a perfect silver. I did find myself wondering. They're on the arc for what, 150 days? At no point they see each other. That's a big arc. <laughs> it must be pretty big. And Donald's busy. He's got a lot of work to do. That's true. And she's probably just staring out the window, thinking about how he's been drowned. Right, and he's knocking woodpeckers around and stuff. <laughs> Trying to keep snakes from eating mice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had a lot to do. Uh, Noah yeah. didn't seem to do very much, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> this uh this bit is just wall-to-wall funny moments mm-hmm. i love it yeah. when the the realistically drawn ducks walk by and donald <laughs> looks at the camera <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a really good moment um but even i mean if just from the beginning it starts i mean like you mentioned earlier in the show it starts with with donald naked and he's you know he's laying in his hammock and it's you know he, he does the classic uh get all twisted up in your hammock thing like it's yeah it's just funny right from the, from from the word go i was so confused watching it though because i was thinking why was he laying out in the hammock naked but i, I like i said i realized on the air that uh <laughs> it's because he was late yeah <laughs> So yeah, um, a little bit of a Lion Kingish feel. Yep. With the uh, with all the animals coming together, that's not a bad thing. No. I mean, that's a, that's that's an incredible moment in Lion King. I don't mind them dipping back into that well a little bit. And a lot of uh, the animals are drawn the way they were in previous movies. So the hippos owe quite a bit to the hippos from uh, Dance of the Hours. The mm-hmm. lions look like the lions from the Lion King without you know just being Simba and Nala. Right. So that's, that's fun. Yeah, the elephants look a, a bit like uh, the Hawley. Jungle Book elephants. Yeah. Yeah. The snake is certainly Ka. Yeah. So. I think my the f- mice my aren't f- the rescuers though. What's the deal <laughs> with that? Nuts. <laughs> my, I think my favorite gag though is uh, when everybody's coming off the ark and there's like forty-five rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah why are there so many rabbits michael i don't know <laughs> ask your parents <laughs> yeah he has to like hurl the dove off. <laughs> yeah. But then he feels bad about it because he separated these. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was well done. 
Oh, yeah, actually. it was really nice. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it was really, it's, it's, it's a really nice piece. And it's really, so, like, this is, this is the best and the worst of um, Michael Eisner. I got to I, I bring it up. I just want our so. listeners to know that you texted me <laughs> at midnight last night to tell me the story. Unfortunately, I have my phone on Do Not Disturb after I go to sleep. So you didn't wake me up with this. I just count on people having Do Not Disturb on. But you were so but excited yeah. about it, you had to send it to me at midnight. <laughs> I was disgusted by it, not excited by it. It's horrible. Um <clears throat> okay, so this is from Wikipedia. So I mean, all my information is always from Wikipedia, but just just to cite my sources. Okay, so Eisner suggested Pomp and Circumstance as a piece after he attended a graduation <laughs> and thought its familiarity would be suitable for a Fantasia segment, which I love. Like, um, you know, he's like, oh, this is classical music or whatever. But anyway, I don't know. That, that's mean. Um, anyway, <clears throat> his idea involved a selection of Disney princesses and heroes in a wedding procession carrying their future children, who would then be presented in the ceremony. The animator's preliminary designs depicted a Greco-Roman setting. One of the staff members described the artwork as, quote, an appalling abuse of the character. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, that's what we say about the Eisner era, right? So there's a lot of appalling abuse of the the character. I I read somewhere that he... uh, they were concerned that it would suggest that uh, the princesses had a sex life. <laughs> yeah, I guess that could be true. Can you too. imagine how bad that I mean, they segment are very, would have been, though? They are very um, careful with the with the princesses. Like, I mean, this is an interesting, just like, like I'm not a big fan of the Disney princess line. Yeah. Like, but whatever, you know, As like the whatever. Father like, of four daughters, I imagine you would not be. <laughs> but you know disney disney does as disney does like whatever you know like i'm i i'm still a fan but like um from a marketing standpoint it's very interesting the 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 eye lines like the where the where the princesses are looking can never like they can never be looking at each other in any marketing material because they don't actually live in the same universe you know Huh. Despite despite the fan theories about Tarzan's parents being, uh, uh, what was it, Anna and Elsa's parents? Is that what yeah. you told me last time? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But the princesses don't actually live in the same universe. So like, and I, that's like really interesting. Like, if you ever look at like the backpacks or the, you know, I mean, look, choose a thing to look at. <laughs> princesses are are not ever like looking or interacting with each other in any way, which I think is really interesting, really fascinating. Well, that short would have blown that uh, up, huh? Yeah, well, that was probably a rule. I mean, I think the the Disney princesses' rules have like come into place over time, you know. Like, I think this is probably. I mean, that that might have been the fact that he suggested this might have been one of the early things to start having a princess line. I don't know when the Disney princess line actually started. It would have been after thing. Fantasia 2000, I think. Leave it to leave it to Eisner to find some new way to sell stuff. Yeah. So. And yeah, so yeah, he probably, <laughs> maybe this was the birth of the Disney princess line right there was in this thing. But anyway, to bring it around and to be charitable to Eisner, because I'm I'm sorry, it was a little mean there. But like, uh, yeah, I mean, he's the appara- one who's going to make your 101 Dalmatians <laughs> idea happen. <laughs> That's true. Let me suck up to him a little bit. Um, apparently, it was his idea to do the kind of sleepless in Seattle thing where they're they're constantly like close to seeing each other but missing each other. Which is good. Like that's a that, that's a good instinct on Eisner's part. 
yeah. So that worked well. So he ended on a high note. And somewhat incredibly, they make pomp and circumstance work for Noah's Ark. Like, those are those are two things that I wouldn't think would be uh, obviously connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's the the procession or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's true. But well, yeah. and, and you know, that's the piece of pomp and circumstance everybody knows, right? Da, 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 da. And when when it first happens, when they're processing onto the ark, it's it, it's really kind of amazing that 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 piece of music still has that kind of power. But it does. Yeah, it does. It works really well. <laughs> I, I imagine when they first put it together, they must have been like, like. Yes, it's like like we thought it might work, but like actually seeing like the animals march in time, like up the up that ramp, it's it's powerful. It's very powerful. And I think it touches a little bit like we don't really get this in the biblical Noah story. I guess you kind of do. And like the post flood, like Noah's obviously got some sort of post traumatic stress disorder, like becoming a drunkard or whatever, you know, but like, um, yeah, like Donald and Daisy both watch their entire like they think they've lost a loved one but like it's really their entire world yeah. has been washed away you know and they're dealing with that for those you know 180 days or whatever on the trip which you know it's kind of it's it's very humanizing in a donald duck short <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> of it's, that of that story you know yeah it's, it's a surprisingly um faithful treatment of the Noah's ark story too yeah oh the other the other gag i liked to return to the the gags yeah, make it again. is the dragons and the uh the unicorn laughing at them yeah that's a little bit of a nod to shell silverstein I think. is it i i believe so I, I mean i didn't see anything that officially confirmed that but shell silverstein has that poem called the unicorn where he refuses to get on the ark or maybe he doesn't refuse to he's just lazy or something i don't know i didn't i didn't have you read it i have not it's it's in where the sidewalk ends but i haven't read it in a long time but just when i saw that i was like oh that seems a little shell silverstein to me i must have i must have read that when i was a kid yeah in my mind it was a real ripoff because i i did google around for it i couldn't find the poem online in my very like a very brief search i'm sure it's on there somewhere but like um in my in my mind it was like a direct like it was it was the dragon and the griffin and the and the unicorn and everything but i think in the shell silverstein it's just the unicorn. we end with another uh stravinsky piece the firebird suite um which is a, a a very 1990s disney environmentalist uh story about a volcano that uh destroys a a forest and then the forest slowly comes back to life Mm-hmm. My understanding is this was heavily influenced by the work of Studio Ghibli. Uh, the the sprite definitely looks a lot like the forest spirit in Princess Mononoke. Okay. See, I haven't seen sure. any of those movies, so I, I I know that you like them. So I was hoping you could you could kind of expand. Oh, on, yeah. on um, the connections. Yeah. So in in Princess Mononoke, there's a the the main conflict, I guess, is as those movies are are 
great. Like I love them, but they're they're weird in the sense that they don't have like traditional plots the way that you would you would expect them to. So when I say a central conflict, it really doesn't make any sense for those movies. But um, <laughs> as much as there is a central conflict, it's over basically the use of this forest. And yeah, so there's a there's a forest spirit in that forest that has kind of a face like that looks very akin to the way this the sprite looks and then occasionally it actually has kind of an elk body and then other times it has a very like um more like this sprite at the at the end when she's the water and she's like this huge massive like long thing like um sometimes the forest spirit looks a little more like that and so um yeah i would say i would be shocked if these, you know, if if they didn't have uh, Princess Mononoke in mind while they were designing and animating the 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 similarities are a little too great. Sure. Although it's possible, it could be another, you know, adjacent possible thing. But like, I, I kind of doubt it. <laughs> Studio Ghibli is well loved by animators too, you know. So I would that 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 lends to the fact that it probably was influenced a little bit by that. I, um, I think it'd be fun to go through those movies if you've never seen them. I've mentioned before that like maybe when we're done with Disney, we should go through Studio Ghibli. But if you've never seen them, it could be really fun to like have you go in blind to each one. That could be really fun. Yeah. So we can add that to the docket of, of ideas for the future. We, we have to find something that won't necessitate our changing the name of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the name of the podcast really doesn't make much sense anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> I still like your idea of uh going through all the CCM magazine covers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me happy just that you remember that. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. um, anyway, the Firebird. This is, yeah, it, uh, animated by our same uh, friends that, that just did. Um, you know, we last week we talked about uh, Treasure of the Lost Lamp. This is the same. The uh, oh, the French the team. Yeah, the French team. Um, Paul and I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, how do you pronounce the e with like an umlaut over it in French? Ooh. It's G A E T A N. Is his name? I'm trying to look at it. I'm always I'm always nervous about pronouncing French publicly. I think. Oh I, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I would, I would say Chetan, I think, but I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, they're twins, and they're they're French artists and painters and illustrators and animators, and they 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 did um, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, but also uh, they did a lot of work on Hunchback of Notre Dame, of course, and um, Tarzan. They did a lot of work on Tarzan. So they they're the main directors on this. Firebird, Firebird Suite as well. Yeah, as you as you mentioned, it it's clearly supposed to be this movie's version of Night on Bald Mountain, and it's not as good as that, but it's it's I think quite good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's um, I the I actually really really love the beginning when the the elk breathes onto a like a little bit of a icicle, just enough to melt it, and then when it drops down, it becomes this the sprite that that brings uh spring out of winter I, I that 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 beginning part was the, the part that i enjoyed the most more than the the recovery from the volcano but i thought the recovery from the volcano i don't know if it was super well animated it was it was well animated i i, I just found that very moving and a, and a good 
uh, a good expression of of how that stuff actually works. You know, volcanic soil is super fertile, and mm-hmm. and things like forest fires are nature's way of rejuvenating itself. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's actually a, a pretty good treatment of the vol- of the volcano exploding and and the the kind of creation that follows destruction and and you know the the fact that the the spirit of spring or whatever you want to call her is um is sad about it i think works well that out of her sadness this opportunity to rebuild things slowly not to the not to the extent they were uh before but something new i i i find that um i find that very moving yeah yeah, it's one of those like, uh, uh, you know, the 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 book of nature. You know, reading reading the book of nature to see signs of you know God's work in the world and and just the way that God, you know, the patterns that God tends to use in our you know in our lives are you know are the same. You know, like we're out of out of tremendous grief. You know, gives gives you room for tremendous joy and uh, yeah the. You know, our suffering, you know, we we don't always see the meaning in our suffering, but we have a we have a suffering God who suffers with us, you know. So like that sadness of you know this is this is the way it is, but I don't know. There's a I don't know. There's something about that that's hard to put into words, but works well <laughs> works well for animation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, especially this wordless animation. Yeah, when you talk about it, it almost. I mean, it doesn't diminish it, but it's 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 just hard to talk about in a way that that feels meaningful in the way that like watching it happen <laughs> feels meaningful, you know. <clears throat> I just think about the way that ecosystems are simultaneously more fragile and more resilient than we imagine them to be, and the things that are catastrophes mm-hmm. for us. You know, we don't like forest fires because they burn down people's property, but the the truth is, without forest fires you get worse forest fires like they're the forest fires themselves are inevitable and and mm-hmm. you know what what happens is you have to let the small ones happen so it, it clears out the brush so you you don't get the big ones and you yeah. know from, from my understanding i'm not a environmental scientist but from from my understanding one of the reasons we've been having these giant forest fires in the last 10 15 years is because we've gone so long stopping forest fires from happening because we don't want people's houses to be destroyed yeah yeah jared diamond writes about that i think in collapse i believe is the book where he talks about that um i mean it's a it's a common idea i think yeah and but these these eco these ecosystems are 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 kind of born naturally and and they they develop over time and they reach this equilibrium and then we come in and think we can just um just stop them stop the cycles from happening uh it's it's kind of foolish now i mean one of the interesting things to me about the firebird sequence here is that it doesn't have anything to do with human beings um so often with these environmental stories from the 90s it's you know some greedy hunter some loot and plunder type um who comes in and and destroys um destroys the natural world i think i what's interesting to me about this is it's about that cycle that happens without human beings um there's no trace of human beings in this in this sequence is there i don't don't, there's Mm -hmm. no human human made um constructions or anything else it's an entirely natural story yeah and she's actually the one who wakes the wakes the fire firebird right 
you know, the our our heroine, I guess, you know, the the sprite that we're kind of following through this whole thing is the one that uh, that wakes him. So there is a real sense of like this is the way, this is nature's way, you know. She almost can't help herself. Like you see her coming down to this like giant crater with the with the firebird uh, <laughs> sitting in it. You're like, don't 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 wake that thing up, you know. That's a bell you can't unring, but. But you can't ring. I mean, you can't unring it. I think. Well, it's different, though. You know, like it's. Yeah. I, th- I think this was based on the explosion of Mount St. Helens, and uh, it, mm-hmm. it is kind of remarkable if you look at how quickly Mount St. Helens regrew its vegetation. Mm-hmm. Not as quickly as it does here, <laughs> where it <laughs> where it happens, you know, in 15 seconds, but right. much faster than you would think it would when you look at a scene mm-hmm. of just total destruction like Mount St. Helens. Right. Yeah, I think it's really that's the other part in this that I actually really like is when she's when she's become Ash herself. Mm-hmm. Like it's that's that's some really nice animation right there. Life uh finds a way. <laughs> What's that guy's name? Ian Malcolm. I know it. Ian Malcolm, that's right. <laughs> life finds a way so uh, all in all I think we both liked Fantasia 2000 quite a bit I would say so yeah I, I, I enjoyed it it's 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 good and then I think it's I think it's a fair compliment to, to Fantasia if they wanted to make a new one every decade I would certainly go see them I would mm-hmm. certainly be excited about that yeah yeah especially you know, I don't know. I think there's. I mean, we talked about it with uh, with um, Rhapsody in Blue. I think there's been some influence beyond this, you know, beyond this uh, movie with it. And so, yeah, if they're you know pushing the pushing the limits of animation a little bit, or or going in a different direction, and you know, doing things that that you wouldn't necessarily see in a normal movie and then that becomes you know that becomes inspiring it's it's kind of you know in the same way that we were just talking about with the you know nature needs to rejuvenate itself the the animation world needs to rejuvenate itself sometimes too it needs a it needs um you know it needs people to watch something and get inspired so that they go learn how to do it and and come and and keep doing it too you know so i'm glad you brought that up josh because we are about to move into the brush fire era of <laughs> Disney animation. Yeah. We have some That's of right. the least loved Disney films in history coming up. That's right. So next month we've got Dinosaur, and then uh, we'll follow that with Emperor's New Groove, which. I think people <laughs> like Emperor's New Groove. I think I'm, yeah. I think we've I think we've got kind of an every other for a little while because then we've got Atlantis, The Lost Empire. I've not seen it. Um, I hear, I then we've got Lilo. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch, which I actually I like. I'll go to bat for Lilo and Stitch. And then we've got uh, Treasure Planet and Brother Bear, and that's as far as I've written it down on my notes. So I don't so know. It's, it it's going to be a there. rough 2021 for this podcast, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, but. We're, we're doing it together, Michael. That's, so. that's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. And eventually, eventually things will look up again. That's right. <laughs> All right. 
Well, anything else? Any final words on Fantasia 2000? Uh, it's worth a watch, and again, it's shorter. It's substantially shorter than Fantasia, which I, I think remains the longest Disney movie, and probably a little too long. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's very fair. This one could be a little longer, I think. You know, it's it's surprisingly short, so they they, they even each other out, maybe. <laughs> anyway, I can't believe how long we've talked about it. It's so, true, yeah. Yeah. People might be saying the same thing about this podcast. No, it could be shorter. <laughs> I'm sure they always think. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for listening to us. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Uh, we're on the old interwebs uh, at beforetheywere.live and also christianhumanist.org. Please help us continue this conversation by reaching out to us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. Especially you, Michael Eisner. I'm ready to uh, host the 101 Dalmatians event. It's going to be amazing. We want to encourage you to set your podcast player styles to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, where you'll find an abundance of new and old shows to keep you going, including our original look at Fantasia a million years ago. Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there you could be spending your time on, so thank you for spending the time with us. So for Michael Farmer, I'm Joshua Altman-Chauffer. Here we are, and there we go.